Not Texas. We, uh, we've just had 30 consecutive days of over 100. And today begins the hot season in Texas, August 1. So they're believing that's probably going to set all kinds of records. But it is just wonderful to be here for so many different ways. I've never been here before. This place is easy on your eyes. I like this. And so Leslie and I enjoyed coming in and... You know, I didn't know where to go to. I had some directions that brought me right here, perfect. And I, I came onto the campground, and underneath the food tent, there were some people sitting at a table there. So I thought I'd ask them. I wasn't sure where we were staying. And so I walked up to these ladies sitting there eating, and they told me I need to see this gentleman. And so I went over and met Brother Rose. And um, he told me where I was going to be. But then he thought he ought to bring me back and introduce me to some of these other folks. And when he did... This sister sitting there goes, oh, you're the speaker. If I'd have known that, I would have been friendlier. Uh, I like Sister Virginia Rose, don't you? I thought she's my kind of people. She's very honest. Come on now. You know you've done that before, haven't you? I have too. But I'm just looking forward to being here and to be a part of what God is going to do in this encampment. I believe Jesus is coming soon. And we're going to spend this week talking about what it means to be an Adventist. And I'm not just talking about what's on your sign out here on the main road. I'm talking about what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist before Jesus comes. A few years back, we uh, tore down the oldest building on our campus. Um, It's called Heritage Hall. It was built in 1893. It was the third oldest building in the Adventist denomination at the time. And that building came down brick by brick. People wanted pieces of it because it had been a part of their heritage. And we were getting ready to take down these white columns out in the front of this building. There was a gentleman in town who came in to our president's office, Dr. Marvin Anderson at the time. And he said, in one of those front columns, you need to know something. He said, there's a time capsule in that column. And he said, the reason I know it's there, he said, I put it there in 1939. His name was Ben Putnam. He was an older gentleman at the time. And so Dr. Anderson called up Dale Haney, the director of our maintenance department, said, bring me a sledgehammer. And they handed that sledgehammer to uh, Mr. Putnam. And I think they thought he'd do a ceremonial. He destroyed that column. He did not need any help. And he reached in. And took out of that column a box that his hands were the last ones to touch it. In 1939, he had placed it in that column. We opened that box in assembly. You could have heard a pin drop. As they finally got that box open and they started taking things out of it. And one of the things they took out was this letter. It's dated July 20, 1939. It's from Southwestern Junior College. And the president is H.H. Hamilton at that time. And he wrote this letter to the president that would take this box out of that column. Would you listen to what he says? This is July 20, 1939. And the workmen today are working on the columns of the front porch in remodeling North Hall. We're placing in this column today a catalog of the college for the year 1939-1940. The last issue of the Mizpah, that's our school paper, 
and some picture folders which were sent to young people all over the field and distributed at the camp meeting. That's recruitment brochures. Listen to what he says. We hope it will never be necessary for anyone to tear down this building and to find this box. We believe that the coming of the Lord will make it unnecessary to ever rebuild on this spot again. Can you imagine 1939 and what's happening in the world? And there are those who thought that Jesus had to be coming soon. And it's this last paragraph. We who are here at this time firmly believe in the third angel's message. And we look forward to this event with joy in our hearts. The question I have for you this evening, church family, I just wonder if we have any believers here today. Adventists who still believe that Jesus is coming soon. I know times have changed. It's been over 70 years ago that that time capsule was placed in that box. Times change rapidly, don't they? We had the privilege a couple weeks ago of being in Nags Head, North Carolina, near Kitty Hawk. Our family goes down there uh, to vacation. In fact, I was there in 2003, which was the 100-year anniversary of the Wright brothers and first flight there at Kitty Hawk. And it was incredible to see. You can go out to Daredevil, Kill Devil Hill, where they have it marked there. That first flight went 120 feet. Now, this is not a glider. This is something that starts on level ground and, and uses the things that they had been using in their bicycle shop. And that thing left the ground and flew 120 feet. But let me tell you something. We talk about times changing. You see, I remember there was a time when there was just ABC, NBC, and CBS. When their choices were just Ford and Chevrolet and chocolate and vanilla and strawberry, right? Are some of you with me? But you know now there's over 5,000 different cable systems. 200 different channels, 750 models of cars, 126 compact models. And you can go to Baskin Robbins and get pralines and cream, Rocky Road, almonds, pistachio, and Jamokin almond fudge. How do I know that? (laughs) The times, yeah, you can tell. The times, they are changing. Do you know that something else happened in 1903 when the Wright brothers were at Kitty Hawk? There was a gentleman born that I'm sure about everybody in here has heard of. His name was Bob Hope. You know he was born in 19... He was alive when Kitty Hawk took place. When they flew 120 feet, Bob Hope was alive. You know he was 24 years old in 1927 when Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic in the spirit of St. Louis. In 1932, Bob Hope was 29 when Amelia Earhart... Soloed across the Atlantic. In 1947, Bob Hope was 44 when Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier in the Bell X-1 rocket. In 1962, Bob Hope was 59 when John Glenn, first American to orbit the earth in Friendship 7. And in 1969, Bob Hope was 66 when Buzz Aldridge and Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. He lived to see the uh, Challenger loss in 1986 and the Columbia disaster that just happened a few miles from our university in 2003. Do you know that Bob Hope lived to see between 1981 and 2003 
111 successful space shuttle missions. One lifetime, 120 feet to 111 space shuttle missions. Times they are changing, aren't they? And they're changing rapidly. And it's not just that they're changing in our culture. They're changing in our church. In 1849, James White was 28 and his bride was 22. And she told him he needed to start a paper. And he was in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. They were going through the Sabbath conferences. And they were in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. So James White walked that eight miles from Rocky Hill, Connecticut to Middletown, Connecticut to take this little paper he had written, only eight pages. He was going to send it out to a thousand people. And he walked eight miles and left that paper so the type could be set. And he walked home. And a time that was set, he walked back and got that paper and walked back home because he had to address it. And after he addressed it, he walked back again to mail it. Do you know to send out the first copy of Present Truth in 1849 that James White had to walk 48 miles to mail that first paper. I'm told that today in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we have 63 publishing houses that publish in over 359 different languages. They run 24 hours a day, five and a half days a week. And this is the part that I just boggles my mind. We have the ability to produce one million pages of print Per hour. Can you imagine the times they are changing? And even in our own church, in 1863, when we started, we had 3,500 members. By 1888, we had 26,000. By 1901, 78,000. And by the 1945, we had a half a million. And by that time, since 1921, Most members lived outside North America rather than inside. We reached our first million. It took us a hundred years. The 1960s, we reached our first million membership. Our second million, ten years later in 1970. Our third million in 1975, five years later. And by 1997, we had ten million. Right now, we baptize a million people every seven months into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Isn't that incredible? Chuck Sandifer, some of you may know him when he was with ADRA. He wrote an article in the Adventist Review and said that one-third of all Seventh-day Adventists today live in Africa. And it's amazing. Nine percent, eight to nine percent of Seventh-day Adventists live in North America. The rest live in the other parts of the world. And then he made this statement. Think about this. Two-thirds of all Seventh-day Adventists that have ever lived are alive today. I mean, it's just staggering, isn't it? The times they are are changing. Now, somebody has said that if you marry the church in one generation, you'll divorce it in the next. 
That if you demand that the church always look the way it looked when you first joined it. You see, my, my wife and I get to celebrate 34 years of marriage. Now, I know that's young for some of you here, but I'm pretty happy about that. And do you know that she can still wear the wedding dress that she wore the day we got married? And I can still wear the first two suits if you sew them together. <laughs> Times, they are a-changing. And I think that God has something to say about those changing times. And we're going to do something this week, beginning tonight. We're going to open a time capsule. Not the one from my campus. We're going to open one from here. Probably the first book written in the New Testament. You know, the New Testament's not in chronological order. Paul's letters were written before the Gospels were written. Probably the first letter written in the New Testament was to the church of Thessalonica. And that's where I want you to turn with me for just a moment. And we're going to spend some time, in fact, this whole week, going into this time capsule. Because I want you to notice something with me from this letter. This church in Thessalonica. There's something interesting about this church. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to study in Turkey and Greece and to travel there a little bit and visited Thessalonica. I don't know what I thought. I thought maybe these towns were just little hamlets or something. Do you know that in Paul's day, Thessalonica was a city of 250,000 people, quarter of a million people. It's located on the thematic gulf. It's a port city. It has an interstate that runs through it. You've heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. One of those roads was the Ignatian Way. Went right through it. If you could believe it, if you could own it, if it existed in the Roman Empire, you could find it in Thessalonica. You know what scholars say about that city? It was a multicultural, pluralistic society. Have you ever heard those words before? <laughs> multicultural pluralistic society. And it's in that culture and in that place that Paul and Timothy and Silas were used by God to plant a church. And I want you to see something about this church as we begin. I want you to see a characteristic of them. You have your Bibles? Please bring them every night. You know, I don't know if you remember my name or what I said, but I want you to certainly remember what God has to say. Bring your Bible with you every night. I want you to notice something about this church. We're going to look at the last verse of each chapter for just a moment. And then we're going to uh, focus on one particular section. And we're going to open a time capsule. Would you notice with me? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Would you look in chapter 2? Last verse of chapter 2. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Chapter 3, verse 13. May He strengthen your hearts so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our Lord and God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with His holy ones. And you don't even need to turn to chapter 4, do you? Don't you know that one by heart? That the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a what? 
Shout! The voice of the archangels, trump of God, dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him to meet Him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Chapter 5. Notice if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Last verses beginning in verse 23. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole soul, spirit, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Let me tell you something about these folks in Thessalonica. They're Adventists. Do you see that? Every chapter in this book ends in the second coming of Jesus. Now, I'm probably going to get myself in some trouble this week. But I'm only here for a few days, okay? And you see, let me tell you what gets you into trouble. You can come here and I can do topical sermons. And that means I get to choose them. So I can just preach what I want to preach, right? But when you go through a book of the Bible, and you're going to look at it expository, and you're going to take a look at it in its context, you don't get to choose the topics. The book does. And what you're going to notice as we go through this book That these folks in Thessalonica believed that Jesus was coming soon. They were Adventists. They looked at every issue. And you're going to be surprised, I think, at the issues they dealt with in the first century that we are still dealing with in the 21st century today. But I want to ask you, and I don't want you to raise your hands, but I'm going to ask you all this week if there's any Adventist here. And I'm not talking about where your names are in the books, back home in your church. And I'm thankful to belong to a movement that believes Jesus is coming soon. But being an Adventist is not a denominational name. It's a worldview. It's how the world hangs together. It's how you look at the events that happen in your life. And that's what we're going to find in 1 Thessalonians. Please bring your Bibles. Because that's where we're going to. We're going to look at these Adventists in the first century. And I think we're going to see that there can be some hope for the Adventists in the 21st century right before Jesus comes. Now, tonight, and I was going to do it. I didn't have enough room in my luggage. I should have. I wanted to bring something to pull out every night out of the time capsule. Just a little object to set on the table. And you even got the table here. Tonight, I was going to put a boot I was going to put a boot. Would you open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? Notice if you would, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the first verse, we read these verses and sometimes we think this is just a pleasant little introduction. But would you notice what it says? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin this book, I want you to see something that Paul wants to make very clear. That every church has two addresses. Every church has two addresses. Every one of Paul's 13 letters, not counting Hebrews, every one of Paul's 13 letters begins with a physical location to the church in Corinth, to the church in Galatia, to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesus. Uh, To the church 
in Thessalonica, to the church in Colossia. Each one of these letters began with people who live in a specific place. I want to suggest to you that every Adventist church must have a physical location. That's where we live for Jesus, where we live. Are you with me? That's where we live for Him. And then there's another address. It says that they're in Christ. Two addresses. One, physical address. That's the town where you live. And two, is the spiritual address. That's your hope, your source of power and strength is in Christ. Are you with me? And the reason why I'd put a book, a boot on the table is because something Ellen White said in Desire of Ages. Talking about Jesus, when one evening, one morning early, the disciples got up and missed Him. He was not there. And they went looking. You remember where they found Him? Mark chapter 1, verse 35 tells us where they found Him. He'd gone to a mountain to do what? To pray. And when they found Him, you know what Jesus said? Let's go to the multitude. In the life of every Christian, And in the life of every Adventist church, there's a well-worn path between the mountain and the multitude. Do you know that? That mountain is that place where we go to come in contact with our God. To hear His voice. That mountain may be a recliner in your living room. It may be a kitchen table somewhere. It may be a little place out on the screened-in back porch. Somewhere you go every day. To hear the voice of God. But you can't live there. Because God has called you to live where you live for Him. In the town you live in. And so every Adventist church, every Adventist believer has two addresses. The place where you live. And the source of your power being in Christ. And over the past 30 some years as a pastor... Churches I've found that have gotten themselves in the most trouble. And Christians who have lost their way have lost and fallen off that path. One end, they become so spiritual, they don't want to have anything to do with anybody else. You've never had those folks in your church, have you? Started a small group and never came back. Felt like they were too holy. Now, listen, I'm not talking about anybody in here. I don't even know you folks, all right? So the pastor, nobody told me to say anything. But if the shoe fits, wear it, right? Right. You've met those groups. They get off studying and become so holy, they don't want anything to do with the body of Christ. Then I've met folks on the other end. They live at the church. Every time the doors open, they burn themselves out to a frazzle. They have nothing left. I want you to know something, and you know this, and Paul knew this. Every church has two addresses. Spiritual address, that's your source of strength and power. And your physical address, that's where you live. And God has called us to to live for Him where we live. Do you believe that? That where He's placed you is where He needs you to live. That pair of shoes, that well-worn boot represents that path. That goes between the mountain and the multitude in your life. Sometimes we need to do a check. We need to make sure that that path is still well worn.
in our lives. I'm spending time with my Lord. And I want to tell you something. And maybe you already know this. People will wear you out. You ever notice that? They will. That's why I have to go back to the Lord, right? And the Lord gives you the strength and sends you back to the people. It's back and forth in the Christian life. It's a well-worn path. Churches need to have them. Body of Christ needs to have those well-worn paths. And you know something else? You know what he calls these people? Saints. Saints. Plural. Do you hear the plural? Now, I've been teaching Greek now for 22 years. I love it. Just finished intermediate Greek this summer with my students. They loved every minute of it. I told them that. Now, I, you know, I, 7 o'clock in the morning from 7 to 9.30, five days a week for a month. What a blast we had, right? I told them they loved it. <laughs> but they're surprised. You know what they're surprised to find? The word saint in the singular is never applied to a person in the Bible other than Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the Holy City. There's no such thing as St. Paul, St. Peter, St. Tim. It doesn't exist in the singular. But you know where it exists? In the plural. There are. You see, saints is not something that someone does to you after you die. Are you listening? Saints is something we become when we're part of the body of Christ. It's who we are. There's never any such thing as a singular saint. We need each other. Are you listening, Adventists? We need each other. I still remember 30-some years ago, E.E. Cleveland. I heard a tape. He was down in Texas. He had this little ditty that he said, Oh, to live above with those we love, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, that's another story. And I think, church, (laughs) that we are like that sometimes, aren't we? I want you to know something. That there's a well-worn path in the Christian life. No wonder Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the gospel, who bring the gospel. You see, he's using the image of a runner, of someone who brings a message. The gospel did not fall out of the sky to to Thessalonica. Angels didn't bring it. I want you to notice these feet. Look with me, if you would, for just a few moments. I know what time we finish tonight. My wife told me, she looked in the bulletin, said, it's done then, you need to be. So I will be, all right? But I want you to listen to this. I want you to notice something in this first chapter. We're talking about these Adventists and what Paul wants them to know. Would you notice with me in verse 4? For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not with simple words, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Let me ask you a question tonight. I wish we had time to do this. Go to midnight. <laughs> and you just tell us how the gospel came to you. How did it happen in your life? Do you notice what Paul's saying to the... Now, by the way, the reason Paul's writing this book, there's problems in the church. And we're going to see them this week as we go through. 
some very earthy problems we don't want to talk about. But we have to because they're here. There's problems in this church. And the first thing Paul says, I want you to remember how the gospel came to you. The power and the conviction. Isn't that what the, uh, the revelator said to the church of Ephesus? That he had this one thing against them. What had they forgotten? That first love of how the gospel came to them. When I was praying and preparing for these messages, I had found something in an old box that I hadn't looked at in years. Now you all, you probably don't even know what this is. It's, it's got an address on it. It's from uh, Thousand Oaks, California. And it is the junior, no, uh, yeah, the junior uh, Voice of Prophecy Radio Bible Correspondence School. It's what's on here. Box 55, Los Angeles, 53, California. Ever heard of that before? Yeah, yeah. Well, the date on this, and there's a stamp right here, is June 29, 1965. I was 11 years old. In the sixth grade. And one of my teachers, my family, you see, I'm from West Virginia. I don't know what you know about people from West. I was born up a holler. Do you all know what a holler is? <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I was born up a holler in West Virginia. I never heard of the name Seventh-day Adventist. But a gentleman who taught my homeroom in the sixth grade handed out Junior Voice of Prophecy Bible study lessons. And I still remember in the evenings, and I was raised on a farm in West Virginia, and I still remember sitting in my room doing these lessons, filling them in. Little did I know that within two years, my mother and stepfather would get a divorce, and somebody, uh, a pastor, would come visit her because I filled in these lessons. And you, you talk about providence. He came to visit in July, in between my 8th and ninth grade years of school. This was two years after I took these lessons now. And um, my parents had divorced. Somebody said, he said to my mom, said, now, I know you got to move into the city and get a job. That oldest kid of yours, that skinny redheaded kid, he's going to run the streets. You need to put him in an academy. I had never heard, really, of, of something. I did these lessons, but you know, you're 11. They sent me to Mount Vernon Academy in 1967. I thought I had died and gone to the moon. I mean, one thing I noticed right off, they did not serve squirrel there. I mean, it was not on the menu. It was just a different place. And then, they kept talking about this lady, Ellen White. I thought she lived in the community. I had no idea until they sent me to get my first job at the cafeteria in Mount Vernon in 1967. The lady who ran that cafeteria, you know what her name was? Wava White. I thought to myself, that's her. That's Mrs. White. Always talking about food. She runs the cafeteria over here. No idea. None. But I want to tell you something. The gospel came to me. Amen. Amen. The gospel came to me. 
Some pastor went up a dirt road, up a holler, met a lady whose husband had left her with five kids, poor as church mice, sent me off to academy. Changed my life. Changed my life. I can't imagine what my life would have been like. What I would have done with my first person to ever graduate, uh, you know, really from high school. Much less go to college and do some other things. Changed my life. Because the gospel came to me. Who, I mean, I married above myself when I married this woman. Are you listening to me? (laughs) I'm so thankful. I mean, I can't imagine what would have happened in my life. Because the gospel came. You think back. Many times it is big doors that swing on small hinges. You know that? And sometimes it's a book that a call porter left in your house that sat unread for years. And somebody, you know those stories, don't you? We forget how important it is that the gospel came to us. But that's not the only thing. I want you to notice something here. First thing he says, I want you to remember, you Adventist, how the gospel came to you. And I want you to notice something else. Look if you would. Notice what he says in, in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. Do you hear that word, imitators? My uh, Greek students are surprised when they translate it because the Greek word is mimetai. Mimic. Mimic. You see this process? The gospel came. And then when the gospel comes... There are those individuals that just mean so much that you began to imitate them. Right? That you began to want to look like them and act like them. You imitate. That's a step in this process. Even though you don't understand. I began going to church on Sabbath. Never had any idea what that was all about. After my freshman year in high school, academy... I was broke, had no money, and so uh, a friend of mine asked if I'd like to live with them. He had a brother who went to be a student missionary and asked if I'd like to move in for a year and save some money. I said, sure. And it was in that house that for the first time I, I saw a husband and wife and how they should treat each other. Some of you in here may know what I'm talking about. And I grew up in a home where there was a lot of drinking and smoking and things going on. I was stealing cigarettes by 12, you know, and that type of stuff. People get drunk and kids start getting under tables so they don't get hit. Are you with me? And I I got to see a family and how they treated each other. And I wanted to imitate that. Amen? And I told you, 34 years of marriage and I've never raised my hand to my wife except in affection. Amen? Amen? That's not the role model I saw. And that's not because I got an education. It's because I accepted Christ as my Savior. And the gospel came. Changed my life. The gospel came and you began to imitate. There were three fellows that formed a contemporary gospel group, Philip, Craig, and Dean. Maybe you've heard of them. And uh, they had a song. It was real powerful. It was really a prayer that one of the fellows is praying to God. He says, God, please make me like you because he, talking about his son, wants to be like me. You hear that? Father, please make me like you. 
because he wants to be like me. You see, there's a place for imitation. There's a place when you have heroes. But I want to tell you something. It does not stop there. It doesn't stop there. I have seen it stop there. People who have simply become satisfied with imitating. And they've never gone to this next step. But I want you to notice this. To be an Adventist living in these days, you have to. Would you notice what it says? Look in verse 7. He says in verse 6, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy. You welcomed. You see, that's what got Jesus into trouble. In Luke 15, I'm, I'm keep losing this earpiece. Are we all right? In Luke 15, you remember that group of people that got upset with Jesus? It says, this man welcomes sinners and what? And he eats with them. And the accusation is that he does that because he's like them. But I want to tell you something. To welcome in this sense means to internalize. To take it in. To make it yours. I wonder how many people have had an experience, an emotional experience sometime in their life where they've accepted Christ and they've even mimicked. Knew the songs. Knew what day the Sabbath was. But never internalized it. Took it in. Because do you see what happens when you take it in? Notice what it says. And you welcome the Spirit with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all believers. You see that process, that the, those steps? The gospel came. You welcomed it. You, you imitated it, and then you welcomed it and internalized it, and then you became a model for the gospel to come to someone else. Do you see that process? That's the process of how the church grows. The church doesn't produce the gospel. The gospel produces the church. But the church becomes the avenue by which the gospel goes, right? I think I read somewhere, as weak and enfeebled as this church is, it's still God's method, isn't it? For reaching this world. Adventists. You ever met somebody, though, that's just imitating? Leslie and I were talking the other day about a church I pastored years ago and millions of miles from here. I had one of the ladies in my church, 42 years old. Her mother died. Next week she came to church. One week later came to church. I didn't even recognize her. Are you with me? Because the things that were on her heart eventually appeared on her ears and around her neck. Careful now. I told you I was going to get in trouble here. But isn't that interesting? All those times as an adult, she had kids. And while her mother was alive, simply imitating. One week after her mother died, I didn't even recognize this woman. Because what she really wanted to be now appeared. Is it possible in our lives as Adventists that it can just become a culture? It can just become a set of rules that I learned a long time ago. And it's interesting as I teach and work with young people and adults as well. That sometimes when they think back to when the gospel came, it's, it's in a very emotional time for them to think back 
But it's a time in which they feel they have grown beyond. That that was just sort of a, a phase in their life. Today, they have outgrown. You ever met folks like that? It's really a scary thing. We have a pastor in Dallas who recently, now not a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, recently was in the paper. He told his church, get off Facebook. I want my members to get off Facebook. You know why I said that? A huge church in Dallas. You know why I said that? It had six homes broken up. You know why? People getting on Facebook and going back and reconnecting with people 40 and 50 years ago as teenagers. Are you listening to me? That wanted to go back and, and just recapture some emotion and some feeling. And it's a problem. They haven't grown in the Lord. I want to tell you something, church family. The Lord is calling out a group of people. I believe this with all my heart. A group of people that remember that first love experience. A group of people that not only had the gospel come to them, they they looked back and realized there were people who were their heroes that they mimicked. But they also internalized it. And do you realize how important it is for this world today to see models of people who call themselves Adventists? I want to tell you something. Doesn't mean that everything goes right in your life. Are you with me? Are you with me? I get those radio stations. Oh, if you're a Christian, you'll never have heartache. You'll never be sick. You'll have no financial problems. Y'all ever pick up those stations up here? Yeah, you listen to that stuff. I'm here to tell you that God does not promise that. But he does promise you this. He'll never leave you or forsake you. That he promises he will be with us. And there's no temptation overtaking us. But such is common to man. But God will provide, won't he? A way in which the world needs to see that. I don't want to talk too much about this next thing. Because I don't know where it will go. Because I just got a phone call. My wife and I did just before we pulled up. One of my best friends. <laughs> But in a minute, we met the first day of seminary over 30-some years ago. He died today. And, yeah, it's just Lynn Sleisner. Maybe some of you know Lynn. He from South Dakota and just a powerful pastor. Powerful pastor. He was a paratrooper in Vietnam. And jumping into that Agent Orange, somehow we never connected that if it defoliaged those trees, that probably it wasn't good for us to be in there either, was it? Brain tumors. He was pastor of the Madison, Tennessee church. And I want to tell you something. That man made a profound effect. He's my age. But that man, he loved to pastor. <laughs> he loved to be in his church. Face some horrendous problems. I look at that man's life. And it encourages me. Some people show you how to live. This man showed me how to die, huh? We need some Adventists. Some people today who are willing to live for Jesus where they live. A pair of boots walking between the mountain and the multitude. Working with people. But then realizing your limit and your back falling on your knees again in that prayer room. 
praying to God for strength and help to go back to the multitude again. Constant path. I think it's one of the greatest needs today. And we're going to begin seeing this week. I want you to be here every night and bring your Bible. Because we're going to see what it means to be an Adventist. To live and walk in this world. For your neighbors to see you in the good times and the bad. And I really do believe Jesus is coming again. Uh, this uh, is an interesting little uh, philosophy. Uh, this is something Charles Schultz wrote. He was the creator of Peanuts. You remember him? That little cartoon? I'm going to give you a quiz tonight. Okay? You don't need to write it down. It's pass, fail. Listen up. Listen to this. This is something he wrote. He said... Name the five wealthiest people in the world. Number two, name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Number three, name the last five winners of the Miss America Beauty Pageant. Number four, name ten people who've won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Number five, name the last half dozen Academy Award winners. For best actor or actress. Number six. Name the last decade worth of World Series winners. Name them. And then he says this. How'd you do? (laughs) He says the point is none of us remember the headliners of yesterday. And these, by the way, were not second-rate achievers. Those were the ones who were the best in their jobs. But the applause died. The awards tarnished. Their achievements are forgotten. Accolades and certificates are buried with their owners. And he said, now I want you to do another quiz. And I'm going to finish with this tonight. List a few teachers who aided your journey through school. Could you do that tonight? Name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Could you do that tonight? Name five people who taught you something worthwhile. Think of a few people who made you feel appreciated and special. Think of five people you enjoy spending time with. He says this. The lesson, the people who make a difference in your life are not always the ones with the most credentials, the most money, or the most awards. They're the ones who show you they care for you and love you. This world is dying, church, for people, somebody to show them they have value and worth in this world. That because Christ is coming again, I believe the Bible calls that good news. We're going to be looking at that every night this week. But I want to extend an invitation tonight for you to put those boots on. That well-worn path. Maybe some of you are doing that. And if you are, I encourage you to continue spending that time every day with the Lord in prayer. And then asking the Lord to lead you to someone who needs for you to be their hands and their feet and their voice. But maybe some have become frustrated with that. You're ready to give up and quit. Here's what we're going to do this evening. And this is how we're going to end our meetings every night this week. I'm going to have prayer here in just a moment. And those of you that need to slip on out of the tent, you have other appointments, please do so. 
But there may be some folks here tonight that need to pray about some things we've talked about. And I'm going to ask if there are some elders and pastors here that are with us, if you'd come and join me up here. And I want to spend some time praying. Praying for you and for me. I want to be an Adventist. Any Adventists in here tonight? I believe that Jesus wants to do something in this world through the lives of Adventists who believe that Jesus is coming soon. And so this evening, we're going to stand. I don't think there's a closing song, is there? Okay. We're going to stand. I'm going to have a prayer. Then after that, if you would, I'd just ask you move right on out if you need to get on to another meeting or back towards the cabin. But tonight, if you would like to pray, that's what we're going to do for some of the specific needs in your life of how you can take seriously, maybe even recommit tonight to living for Jesus where you live. Would you stand with me, please? Our Father in heaven, thank you so much. What a beautiful place this is. We can hear your voice even when nobody's speaking here. The heavens declare the glory of God. The trees clap their hands. Oh, it's just refreshing to hear your voice. But we also hear it in your word. And Father, you know the things that each one of us are facing in our lives and in our worlds. And what an opportunity we have. And Father, tonight, I really believe that you call on our hearts not for us to make promises to you, but for us to accept your promises to us. So I pray that you'll be with those that are here this evening. And if there's some folks that tonight that came in here with some burdens and some concerns, maybe even with an emptiness, I don't want them to leave that way. I want your Holy Spirit to be here and to do what it does best in this room. I thank you for giving us this privilege to be together. And we will be careful in this encampment to give you the honor and glory and praise for everything that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night. And we'll see you tomorrow morning for the meetings and tomorrow night. And if you'd like to pray, if there's some pastors here, elders, come and join me in the front. And let's pray here this evening.